it's one thing to believe that God is with you. It's another thing to see God active in your life. One thing I find remarkable is that when it comes to the Jews in the first century, the descendants of Abraham, they believed that God was with them. This, in spite of several centuries of history that would suggest otherwise. They had once been a great and powerful kingdom under King David and under King Saul. But now they were a remnant of that. The Jewish people in the first century had gone through centuries of oppression, foreign invaders coming and exiling them away from their land. And now by the first century, they are being unfairly subjugated by the Roman government with no political power, no authority. And yet, they believe that God was with them. The reason they believe that God was with them is because they had several promises dating back centuries that declared to them that God was still with them. They had promises that said that one day God would raise up a new king for Israel who would establish a kingdom that would last forever. And so century after century, even though this nation, this kingdom had been completely wiped out, they still believed God was with them. The thing that they wondered is maybe something that you wonder. They wondered when they would see proof of it. They believed God was with them, but they wondered how long would it be until we see the kingdom come that God had promised. And perhaps for you too, maybe you're a Christian who says, you know what, I believe God is with me. But so far that just seems like a belief or a hope that I have in the back of my mind because I'm not sure I see the proof that God is with me. And in the terms of those first century Jews, maybe you would say something like this. You would say, I'm just wondering when I will see this kingdom come. I wonder when I will see God proving that he is here. But for those first century Jews, it all changed one day. Their attention got grabbed when an unusual man named John the Baptist, who wore really unusual clothes and had a very unusual diet, he was preaching out in the desert this this message that got people's attention. The, The Jewish people flooded to him because he had this phrase that he would say. And then after John the Baptist, Jesus, this self-proclaimed rabbi from Nazareth, also went onto the scene proclaiming this same thing that got the Jewish people's attention. Both John and Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. And people in the first century were waiting to see what would happen next. Well, today we're in part three of a series that's going through the Lord's Prayer and the different parts of it. And today... We're looking at the part of the prayer that deals with God's kingdom. And I just love this because when you look at how this even became a thing, like why we even have the Lord's Prayer today, it's, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 11 that the disciples noticed the way that Jesus prayed, how regularly he would pray and how differently he would pray. And in Luke 11, it says that one day after Jesus returned to his disciples after praying, One of them raised their hands and said, Lord, would you teach us to do that? Teach us to pray like you do. And so Jesus, I think with a smile, looked at his disciples and said, I'm glad you asked. And today what we're looking at is this. Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. 
I don't know if people back then would, you know, verbally say things after a preacher said things. You know how some churches do that? You know, we're Lutheran. We don't, we don't say anything in church. But, you know, some churches, like if, if the pastor says something exciting, what, what might the people do? Amen. Mm, amen. Amen. And, you know, what we did at the beginning of the service, it was kind of fun. You know, today is Independence Day. Uh, so we said, you know, go America. I believe that if that were the case in Jesus' day, that people were free to speak as the rabbi is speaking, that after Jesus said, your kingdom come, you would have heard a, mm, amen, mm, go Israel. You know, people would have been excited because they had been waiting for God's kingdom to come. And now Jesus is teaching them to pray for this very thing that they've all been hoping for. But what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to pray for God's kingdom to come? And quite simply, the direction we're going to go with is, is this, that when it comes to God's kingdom coming, it's not about a physical kingdom. It's not about an earthly king. But we're going to see from Jesus' own words that God has something different in mind than, than something physical that we can see. Kind of as we look at the broader picture here, what we're asking God to do is we're asking him to, to take his jurisdiction, his influence, and we're, we're saying, may your jurisdiction be without borders. May what you want to do, may it be done without any obstacles. We already prayed, hallowed be your name. Help us see you as you are. But now we're praying that we would see what you can do. So if you want to put this on your sheets, number one is, Father, when you pray, say, Father, show me what you can do. Father, show me what you can do. And this might be, seem selfish at first, but Jesus actually invites you to ask your Father in heaven, Father, I, I, I see you for who you are, but would you show me? Would you show me what you can do? And let me just ask you a question. What, what can your Father in heaven do? Your omnipotent, all-knowing, all-present Father in heaven, what, what, what can he do for you? And I think, you know, quite honestly, when I think about your kingdom come, like, God, do, do what you want to do in, in this world. Um, I think that we honor God when we think big. Don't you think? Like, when we say, God, I want your kingdom to come, we don't think about things like, you know, help my, my stub toe feel better today. You know, that's not very big. Well, for some of you it is, but... I think when, when I, I think of those, those words, your kingdom come, quite often I think what God can do in this world. It's, it's 4th of July weekend, it's Independence Day, so maybe in America we say something like, Could, would you help make this a Christian nation again? Would you heal our division? Would you bring us together? That's a big prayer to ask. Or maybe you've got big personal prayers that you've been thinking through. Heal this relationship, heal this cancer. Th th these are big prayers to ask. God, let your jurisdiction have no borders. Have influence, have power over everything. But I'm going to challenge you today, and Jesus, more than, more than me, Jesus is going to challenge us with what he means by your kingdom come. You might think that what he's about to say is small, but he's going to challenge me and challenge you to think of something small that's actually a much greater impact. As you look back through Jesus' life, one day people actually asked him, what about this kingdom? Or more specifically, when will this kingdom come? 
This is in Luke chapter 17. Some Pharisees, uh, once when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied to them this. He said, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. It has come now because the kingdom of God is already here. It has already infiltrated your ranks. It's within you. It's inside of you. If you want to think about God's kingdom coming, don't think big, worldly things. Think small, internal, matter of the heart. And this wasn't something new that Jesus was teaching. From the very beginning, when he and John the Baptist started to get people's attention with this crazy prediction that God's kingdom had come near, There was one word that Jesus and John included that got people to think about God's kingdom rightly. It's not about God doing amazing things to change the world around us, but rather, here was the focus. So this is about uh, John from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, he did not say, rejoice for the kingdom of of heaven has come near. He He didn't say, rejoice and be happy because now God is coming to fix all of your problems. You know what he said? You know what Jesus said? Repent. Repent because God is taking jurisdiction without borders. And it's happening right here and right now. It's natural when I say your kingdom come, I think about big worldly things, you know, change nations, change the world. But Jesus challenges us to think small. I put it this way for number two on the sheets. God's kingdom addresses the brokenness of the world's people, individual people, internal brokenness, not the brokenness of your world. His kingdom, first and foremost, is about addressing the internal hearts of individual people in this world. He does not have some show of force by which he changes and compels the world to change. The complicating factor of this topic is that when we talk about God's kingdom, there's actually a lot of different things that apply under this category. We could make this at least a four-week series in and of itself. Um, God's kingdom could include to like outreach or evangelism, like telling new people about Jesus. Uh, God's kingdom could talk about the work God does in our hearts. It could talk about, God, please bring me to heaven. That's letting God's kingdom come. Uh, Your kingdom come could talk about God bringing heaven to earth, like try to fix what's going on around us. There's all sorts of different sides to this, but for the sake of the rest of today's message, we're going to boil down on what Jesus and John both focused on initially. When God takes jurisdiction over this world, it's not about him changing the world to make it a better place for me and for you or for the world. It's about a one by one working in people's hearts. It's about God addressing the brokenness of the world's people. And then perhaps, as an added blessing, he would come and address the brokenness in your world. But let's be laser focused for this next part here. As we look at one of Jesus' parables that helps us understand like what it is he does in our hearts that's so amazing and what it means when you, on a weekly or daily basis, say, Father, your kingdom come. Do you know what you're asking him to do? It's not just about making your life better, but it actually might involve some pain. I'm going to let Jesus explain. In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew lists 
eight parables where Jesus begins with, the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you have time this week, I encourage you, open up to Matthew chapter 13. It's intriguing. Spend some time, work your way through them, look for the connections, look for the progression. I spent a lot of time in Matthew 13 this week, but ultimately we're going to consolidate our attention onto three verses, verses 31 through 33. Three verses, sorry. Um, So here's how Jesus begins in this section. So Matthew writes, he told them another parable because this is parable after parable after parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. You guys get the point yet? Jesus is talking in agricultural terms. He he so often used pictures and analogies that were understandable for the people of his day. And I know this isn't foreign for us. We get the concept of a seed. But just think about this. He's specifically picking on the mustard seed for a reason. In other parables, he talked about just seeds in general, but now he's focusing on a specific kind. So pay attention. He goes on to say this. Though the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds... Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. No, plant, plant doesn't do it justice. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. A bird that on one day could have come along and made a meal out of this tiny seed is now a tree large enough for that bird to perch in its branches. When you think about God's kingdom and what he does, don't think, okay, change the world right now. Jesus challenges us, think Small, because something that is small can actually have a much bigger impact in the long run. And then he furthers it. He gives another parable that helps to illustrate this concept even further. And then we'll talk about what this means for us. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's a lot of flour. I'm just going to tell you. One thing that I've done for several years now is I'm not a chef. I'm not bragging. Anyone can do this. So one thing I do is we make our own homemade pizza at home. And quite honestly, it's not because it's better. It's because it's cheaper. We make our own homemade pizza. And I kind of figured out like the amount of dough I normally make for our family and how much would be 60 pounds. I roughly calculated that 60 pounds of flour would make about 30 family-sized deep-dish pizzas. 60 pounds of flour. And yet, all it takes is one little bit of yeast to work throughout the entire thing. It starts small, but over time, you see it have a great, great impact. Now, what is Jesus telling us? What is Jesus telling us? He's not telling us that if with a little bit of faith, you can do great things. He says that in other places. What Jesus is saying is that when God is active, when he is at work in someone's life, it's not like there's going to be this overnight, bam, transformation. But what Jesus is implying is that with God's kingdom work, it starts small. It starts with one simple message. You're forgiven. Two words that can change a person's life. But God doesn't stop there. He says, you're forgiven. And because you're forgiven, 
Here's what your life will look like from now on. Here's what your marriage can look like. Here's what your parenting strategy can look like. Here's what your endeavors for your career can look like. Here's how you can handle the persecution you face in this world. It all starts with you're forgiven. The work of God's kingdom is not to instantly fix the world around you. The primary, the primary purpose of God's kingdom and God's ruling in our hearts is to come to each and every one of us. First of all, as Jesus and John said, repent, acknowledge that sin. But then God says, here's where I begin my work. You're forgiven. That is the gospel at work in our lives. The work of God, number three, the work of God is to expand the implications of the gospel into every corner of your life. He wants that simple gospel, you're forgiven, to expand like yeast in your heart, in your life, to cover every part of it. Or like a mustard seed, like one tiny truth, one tiny bit of good news planted in your heart can become this amazing thing that changes the world around you. God's kingdom is about changing the world. But it's about changing the world through people like you. And this, for me, brings up the moment where I have to confess for myself, and perhaps you need to confess for yourself, what God has been wanting to do in his kingdom and how we've prevented it from coming the way he wants it to. And for me, it was a simple asking of a question for myself this week, and I'll ask you the same question and invite you to answer it for yourself if you'd like to. Where, where have you been drawing up some borders? If, if we really want God to let his kingdom come, and if we want him to have jurisdiction without borders, where have you been setting up those fences or borders in your own life? You know, maybe you come to church on Sundays or you tune into church on Sundays and you're like, oh, that's such a good message. I love it. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. But, but then you go out and you place a, a border around a certain relationship and you say, I want to hate that person and so I'm going to continue to hate them. I want to feel that resentment and I want to pay them back. And so you put up a border in that part of your life where the gospel does not get through. Or you've, you've been holding on to a hurt. A hurt that you've been projecting to the people you love. And it's been making you the person that you don't want to be. But for whatever reason, you've been setting up a border and saying, God, I don't want you to address this. Leave me alone. In what way have you been drawing borders in your own life? Where have you said, God, your kingdom work is off limits? Here's what I know. What I know is that when I pray, Father, your kingdom come, it's easy for me to think about God making a big impact in the world around me, but what I have to be honest about is that the biggest impact that I need in that moment is for God's kingdom to come in my heart, for him to have borderless control of everything that's going on within me. Um, that's kind of deep, so just a, a quick illustration to bring some levity into this. Um, any of you have a, an unfinished basement in your home, or maybe you've had an unfinished basement in a previous home, or you visited someone's home that has an unfinished... Okay, I think everybody. So what I know about my unfinished part of my basement is that it's kind of gross right now because I hardly ever go in there, and there's spiders everywhere. 
So some of you, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have warned you, that's a trigger word, spider. <laughs> but, but there's actually three kinds of spiders, I think, in the basement. Number one is the invisible spider. Do you guys have these? Like they make webs, but they're nowhere to be found. So it's like there's an invisible spider making webs. You have no idea what's going on. Then there's the normal spider, like the little tiny things. Or it's like, oh, whatever. Like you could just touch it and it'll, you know, die. But then there's the monster spiders. And I know that they're there because... Below where they live, I see a pile of dead bugs. And it's not a small pile. But here's the thing. If, if, if I would make regular use of that part of my house, I would probably address the spiders and keep it clean and keep it manageable. And I think what can easily happen in all of our lives is that there's so many things going on in every different corner of our life that there's a corner of your life that we can neglect. It's not that we're necessarily saying, God, I don't want you to come here. But honestly, it's, it's just been a while since you've thought about this part of your life. And now you're starting to see the spiders come and you're starting to see the things pile up. What I'm getting at is this. Sometimes we can hinder God's kingdom from coming for two reasons. Number one, because we reject it. Number two, because we neglect it. Where have you been drawing borders? Either by accident or by purpose? Where do those need, what borders need to come down in your life? Now I want to close with Psalm 50. Psalm 51. <laughs> it's actually Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an amazing psalm from the Bible, an amazing book of the Bible, where it gets into this very topic. You know, God's kingdom, we can think about many great things he can do to fix the world around us, but honestly, when God sets up jurisdiction over his people, it's a matter of my heart, it's not a matter of my world. My heart, not my world. And Psalm 51 guides, guides us in what it looks like to take down the borders and to let that simple message of you're forgiven have full jurisdiction in your life. It starts like this in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. God, I don't want you to come and fix and tweak what's going on in there. Would you create something new in me? A new heart and renew within me a steadfast spirit, one that does not waver, it does not fumble, it doesn't have to second guess what you declare, but it is rock solid on those simple two words, I'm forgiven. And would you give me a steadfast spirit that is ready to expand that into my life? And God, as you address what's already in there, here's what I beg of you. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not look at the darkness in me and say, oh my goodness, that's horrible. But God, I know that you want to be here. Continue to be with me. And then it goes on. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The excitement. That moment that where the forgiveness of sin settles into my heart and mind, I can't help but feel joyful. Would you make that a continual thing in my heart? Put, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When it comes to God's kingdom coming, this verse, these verses in Psalm 51 illustrate so well what God wants to do. Maybe, maybe he'll fix the problems in your world. But first and foremost, it's about addressing the brokenness 
within you. And then one more verse from Psalm 51. Then, once all these things have happened, then we can start to think bigger. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, not so that I can laugh at them and prove how bad they are or how wrong they are, but so that they will turn back to you and so that your kingdom can come to them. So, as we think about this whole concept where Jesus taught his disciples, hey, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. Father, your kingdom come. What we're talking about is not about God addressing all the needs of the world or fixing your world around you. It's about God addressing the brokenness that is within you. And therefore, what I want you to apply for yourselves this week is the application of this. How do we know if God is answering this prayer? How do we know if his kingdom is really coming? Well, we can't see it. We can't say here it is or there it is. But we will know it when we see what's happening within us. When it comes to God's kingdom coming, what we as Christians should do is lead the way. Lead the way not by judging the world around us, but by acknowledging the corners in our life where we've been setting up borders that have prevented that simple gospel from doing what it wants to do. Lead the way in letting the forgiveness that Jesus won for you permeate every part of you. And this is not going to be, okay, I did this, now I'm done. But even as you focus on different areas of your life, there will be other areas that will start to get those spiders, those cobwebs again, and they will need to be addressed too. For the rest of your life, you continue to pray this prayer that Jesus prayed. Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Today, there are new things in my life that need to be addressed. There are new boundaries and new borders that I've set up, and I need you to bring those down. Would you lead me to acknowledge that your kingdom has come near, and my appropriate posture is to repent so that the good news that I'm forgiven can permeate every part of my life. We as Christians, we as, if you're in America, an American Christian, get to lead the way in establishing the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to bring. A kingdom that has no borders. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, your kingdom come. There's lots of big things that we could incorporate along with that request. We can think about your kingdom coming to new people. We can think about your amazing promise that someday this world will be made new and we'll be brought up into heaven to live with you forever. There's so many things that go along with your kingdom. But the most important thing is what you're doing in us right now. Let your kingdom come to us. And as we pray your kingdom come, let it not be with an outward focus of you know, fixing or addressing the brokenness of our worlds around us. But first and foremost, would you help us be honest with the brokenness that's in us? Help us on a daily basis to realize where we've been setting up borders that have prevented your gospel from doing what it wants to do. And on days where we feel crummy and horrible and like we are anything but in your kingdom, let those two simple words plant a seed that can do so much. Those words that we're forgiven. Let your gospel do the power that only it can do so that we can be the people 
that you have called us to be. Your kingdom come. And as we'll say next week, your will be done. Help us to surrender our lives and all things into your hands. Thank you for our time together. Help us lead the way to showing others what it means that your kingdom has come to us. In Jesus' name, amen.